for tuning in to Mystic Witch. I'm your host, Blue. You can find out more about me at bluejunetarot.com. Mystic Witch is a podcast about magic, divination, and all things supernatural. Witches. Today we have Evo Dominguez Jr. He currently serves as one of the elders of the Assembly of the Sacred Wheel, but he's been active in the Wiccan and Pagan community since 1978. His techniques and insights are rooted in a synthesis of traditional metaphysical teachings, modern science, and memories from past lives. Hello, Evo. How you doing? Great to be here. So how is the weather over in Delaware right now? It is 15 degrees, and walking the doggies this morning was not fun. <laughs> We're not even getting a real winter. It's February, and it's like 50 degrees every day. It's so bizarre. Is it usually 15 where you are in February? So it is, and actually this is the first real winter day that we've had this year. We've had such a mild winter. It's been wonderful, but also it says really horrible thing about climate change. Yeah, that's so real. Yeah. So... I have to start by sharing uh, the situation, the incident that happened a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I was um, I was recording with Matt Oren, and this was our show two weeks ago. And while I was editing, I, there, I do these audio clips, which you can find on our Instagram page at Mystic Witch Podcast. And it kind of highlights bits and pieces of the show to get, you know, to engage people. And I was doing uh, one of the clips of... of about you and about your noirs and you like right. the page while I was editing your picture into it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then later I was telling somebody that you're mad psychic. Obviously I have to have you on the show and you reached out to me at that exact same time. What can you say about that? <laughs> so in both cases, I, I got a little bit of a, a tug, and so I followed my instinct. Uh, I didn't know that's that what you were doing, but I've had a lot of experiences where if I just follow where I'm being pulled to, or I, it, it usually lines up. Sometimes it's an actual message, and I know, oh, so-and-so's thinking about me, but uh, my life has a lot more synchronicity than than uh, than not. Well, that's I was really impressed. <laughs> I still am. And you know, you've written several books and dozens of periodicals on various occult topics over the years. Do you have anything on the horizon? Um, actually, I have a book uh, about the four elements, the elements of the wise, and people will say, well, hasn't it been done to death? And it's like, actually not. The problem is that a lot of the material that's out there is uh, rehashed versions of the same simple stuff, but this is really taking it to a whole nother level. So I'm hoping that that will be out either late this year or early next year through Wiser. Ooh, congrats. That sounds really exciting too. Can you tell us just a little bit more about what we can expect from that piece? So besides uh, looking at them as uh, things that we point out as attributes within ourselves and the people that work with magic or astrology, your folk magic work with the elements all the time, it really goes much more into depth with working with the beings of the elements. 
and the elementals, and also the equivalent of their goddess and god forms, and uh, taking it a broader, all the way from simple spell work up to viewing the four elements as the things that anchor uh, mind to brain, that allow consciousness from the divinities above to connect to the earth plane. So it, it goes round robin from things that are practical to things that are uh, very out there and theoretical. Uh, it also takes it from a perspective of being as clean from specific uh, traditional perspectives as possible, because I want whoever reads it to have use of it, regardless of which particular path or mixture of paths they follow. Gotcha. Speaking of traditions, uh, I was going to ask you, what, what do you think the pros and cons are of being in a group like a coven or a lodge? So I'm going to say this is like the same question that I would pose. It would be, is it a good thing or a bad thing for a person to be in a relationship? There are good ones and there are bad ones. When you are in a coven, a lodge, or a group of some sort that is healthy and functional, you have people to bounce ideas off of. You have people that will support you. You have people that will give you a reality check when you are um, completely off base or diluted. So there is a value that comes from being with people that uh, are doing common work with you. But in the same way that relationships can be very toxic and very bad for you, organizations, covens, lodges, groups can also hold you back if it's the wrong one for you. And it may or may not be about uh, something being actually maliciously wrong, but in some cases it's a bad fit. In other cases, man, it really is uh, falling into uh, a toxic situation. But I do think that there are some things that can only be done well uh, in, in a group setting and some things that work better solo. And regardless of whether you're in a group or not, you always keep your, your private practice, that which you do by yourself, because you have to keep clean boundaries and maintain your own magical work, even if you're doing collective work. So it's never a simple answer, and so much of it requires that you be in a place to actually be in a group in a healthy way and ask yourself, why do you want to be in that group? Same way yeah. that you would look at it as, why do I want to be in a relationship? Yeah, that makes sense. Do you believe that some people just are meant to be uh, private practitioners? Yes, but then I say that those people also probably would benefit from being in community. So, for example, uh, there are some people that have, are not members of any of our covens, but have been coming to our open workshops or open rituals for years because there's a value in tapping into community. But that's a whole other thing than being a member. Not everybody is a member person. Not everybody wants to be in an organization, but uh, there are lots of ways to connect with to community through organizations, even if you choose not to be a member. Yeah, I definitely um, never felt the spirits raise as high as I did when I went to, uh, at the time, was a local coven, Novices of the Old Ways. They had open rituals. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so yeah, I could definitely see why that's a big benefit. Also, like the difference between somebody singing a song by themselves and something being in a chorus or a band. Uh, there's there's other uh, ranges and frequencies that you only reach when you have uh, a mixture of people and things. Yes, yes. And and you work with and believe in many goddesses and gods. What does that mean to you? So, I'm of the category of people that actually believe that they exist as actual separate beings. But I'm also going to say that I think that they are 
like us in the sense that they have their own evolutionary path, though it is millennia long compared to our short lives. I think they change over time just as we do. I think that uh, at the same time that it is important to study the lore about them and know their history, who are they today and where are they headed? And in the same way that you don't want somebody that you knew from high school to expect you to be the same person, I don't think that our gods and goddesses expect us to uh, treat them as uh, they were mm, 800 years ago, 1,000 years ago. So it's a question of knowing their history, but also meeting them who they are today. I also think that gods and goddesses are on a bell-shaped curve just like us. There's small ones, there's large ones, there are in-between ones. And I'm going to put a side note, divinities, great ones, other words for them, because, you know, gender is a really slippery thing when you're talking about these sorts of beings. Mm, yes, for sure. And certain gods and goddesses, deities, they can be attributed to certain denominations or practices and paths. Whereas where you were talking about before about calling in the elementals, I feel like that's pretty accessible to every path, right? Absolutely. I think that um, we are made of the elements. I also think that um, the goddesses and gods choose which people uh, they go to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and sometimes, you know, it's in the same way that uh, we make choices about who we want to befriend or who we want to work with or uh, be an ally with. I think they, too, have their real agency, have their real identity, even though it's where we get in trouble is when we limit their personalities to what humans are capable of. Yeah. If we get in trouble simply with uh, making mistakes when we try to communicate with people from other human cultures, well, how can we not uh, have a, a few missing pieces when it comes trying to understand the consciousness of something that's been around for a ridiculously long period of time and sees the universe through senses that are much broader than ours? What is their culture like? Yes, that's a really good point. It's a personal relationship, too. So what you experience yes. might be very different than the person next to you, right? Well, how about this? Let's pretend for a moment we're uh, at, at some cosmic uh, cocktail party. And depending <laughs> upon you know which, which goddess or god you walk up to, let's say you walk up to one and start talking to them about you know the stars and the planets and, and, and astral tides— you're going to have a conversation about stars and planets and astral tides. Somebody else goes up to the same divine being and asks them a question about plants, and then they get off on a long tangent about plant spirits. And then they both walk away, oh, they're, they're a divinity that's all about plants. No, 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 they're all, all about the stars and planets. Well, you know, in the same way that human beings can be about many things, so can they. So that each human being also sees a different part of them and experiences a different part based on what they choose to ask or interact about. Yes. I love that metaphor so much because it puts us all in this like mental astral plane where we're at a party yeah. with them. Amazing. So you started studying astrology in 1980, right? Yep, I did. <laughs> this fabulous uh, leftover leftover hippie woman named Ellen Reardon. Oh, yeah. Tell um, us more. She 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 is was um, uh, she's no longer with us, uh, a, a force of nature. She was this amazing uh, bohemian uh, woman that was kind of like part anti-mame and, uh, you know, uh, part, uh, and now, you know, and, and part, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, somebody from, from uh, pick, pick your standard hippie commune because she had this amazing bohemian look. And I was drawn to her energy immediately. And at that time, I was always 
already involved with uh, paganism and magic of one sort, and I wanted to learn more about astrology. And I knew she was the one to teach because she just radiated it, and she did amazing uh, readings. And she was completely non-standard. The first lesson, she lit a candle in the middle of, of the living room and said, that's the sun. And then she proceeded to uh, walk in a circle, pause at, at 12 places for the 12 signs, and do a dance that represented the energy of each of the signs. <laughs> that's amazing. Now, now she was also very cerebral and uh, knew her stuff. Uh, back then, we did the charts by hand, no computers to help us. It was the hard hard way. <laughs> but uh, she was amazing. But she gave me a love of astrology. And more importantly, hers was completely grounded uh, in the sense of her astrology was, yeah, she knew all the standard tricks and, and techniques. But she also viewed it as a living thing, a living force of, of creation and the sign being like living things. And, and that changed, I think, from my beginning point, how I felt about astrology. Yeah. What else can you tell us about your development in that field? So most astrologers, I mean, the vast majority of them, astrology is their primary foray into anything esoteric or mystical. A lot of them uh, follow mainstream religions. They don't do ritual, et cetera, et cetera. So from the beginning, my work in astrology was always like, okay, let me rethink this as a witch, as a magical person. When I look at this material, what does it provoke? What does it evoke? What does it bring forth as a possibility for spell work? Um, how would I look at this differently if I were doing divination for something related to a magical topic or to working with spirits, etc.? So it's really been about researching the edges of it. Not that there aren't astrologers that uh, don't use astrology for their metaphysical or magical purposes, but they're really a minority. And how does that work for you? How do you use divination with your magic? For example, let's say that you're trying to do operative magic, which is a fancy way of saying a spell, something that makes something happen. Uh, sometimes the best thing to do is to do some divination ahead of time uh, to see not just when the best time is to uh, perform a ritual because of astrological conditions, but also when you're preparing to do this, what's going on in your chart? Because sometimes our strengths or our flaws are, are partially influenced by the energy of the time, so you can use it to see what state am I in, when's the best time to do it. And also, every system of divination, not just astrology, but runes, tarot, etc., anything that can be used to read what's going on in the universe means that it is a symbol that is resonant to the powers of the universe so that you can push it both ways. If it can be used to read, it can be used to enact magic. It's not just passive. It's, it's also an active thing. So, for example, you know, we're, we're moving into this lovely Mercury retrograde thing and everybody has opinions about it. But honestly, <laughs> the, the symbol for, for Mercury, the glyph for Mercury, man, I before this call, I just uh, drew the symbol for Mercury onto the palm of my hand, push some energy into it, and then I held it up to my throat so that I would be quick and articulate. Oh my gosh, I love that. I wish I would have thought of that. Whether it's tarot cards or runes or the glyphs from astrology, everything that is a divinatory tool is also an active magical tool. It's just about flipping the script. So what would you say for someone who's trying to do money magic, but they have Saturn in the second house? Let's look at it as uh, magic is not only about changing things, but also about embracing and amplifying what you have. Mm -hmm. So Saturn in the second house, you can look at that as oh, a restriction. On the other hand, you could do a working that is about let all the things that I need remain. So it's not about how much money you have, is how fast is it flowing out of your account? 
Right. So you can invoke that Saturn in the second. Saturn is also about hanging on to things and preserving things. Maybe I'm going to hang on to the apartment that has the good rent. Maybe uh, my stuff isn't going to break down because, uh, you know, Saturn is about structure and form and rules time. And who says that it can't be on my side today? So that's one way of looking at it. The other way is to counterbalance it. And, uh, you know, Saturn's, uh, you know, counterbalance is often Jupiter. Jupiter's all expansive and fortunate. By the way, Jupiter likes to spend too much money. <laughs> but a Jupiter working to counterbalance might be good. Or a making friends, making, maybe you're going to make an amulet using a, a Saturn and Jupiter glyph combined. Maybe you're going to um, think about ways in which um, Saturn also represents authority and power. And you know what? You get paid more in most jobs if you're one of the people that is in some kind of management or supervisory role. Uh, how can I change my situation at work to have more power, therefore more money? So what is the relationship between divination and magic? Why is it so important to use them together? I think that when you use divination to guide magic, it's like keeping your eyes open, or it's like flying a plane with the radar and all the instruments turned on so you can see the things that are beyond visual sight. Mm-hmm. So part of it is about adjusting your magic to uh, produce the outcomes you want. The other bit is that there really isn't um, a clean line between them. I'm going to say that all prophecy is self-fulfilling. All prophecy is, because you know what? The future is like, uh, when, you, when you do a quick reading, the first thing that comes through is, what's going to happen? What's the most pr- highest probability outcome? It's kind of like looking at the weather forecast, there's an 80% chance of blah, blah, blah. Magic is about picking the best timeline. Which fork in the road do I take so that I can avoid that storm? Yeah. All prophecy is self-fulfilling because it's about you see where things are headed, and then you figure out how do I tweak this so it ends up going to a better place than it was headed? Because left to its own devices, the most probable outcome is usually not the most optimal outcome. What do you mean by that? So, in this world, I think most people would agree that 90% of the time, people are not walking around in an enlightened state, knowing their life purposes and and knowing the flow of energy and and the future around them. So, it's like bumper cars, or it's like people texting while they're driving. Uh, Most of the times, we're not aware of things, which means that in order to create synchronicity, in order to create the best path... It's it's uh, rather than the the averaging of everybody's inputs to reality. It's about picking the way forward, and that means uh, looking at what's possible, and that means veering away from where things are headed. Uh, fate usually at the moment, uh, until more human beings are, are awake and aware and uh, and healthy and functioning well in the world, uh, we tend to uh, end up with the lowest common denominator rather than the best option. Yes, that's very true. Are you a believer that the veil continues to get thinner and thinner and more and more people are kind of waking up? Yeah, yeah everybody's probably heard some variation of uh, we're we're moving from one age to another, from from Pisces to Aquarius, and depending upon who you are, you draw the line of it's already happened or it will happen, and I'm saying it doesn't matter. It's like a shift between uh, winter and spring. It takes a long time to go from, from winter to spring, and there's a lot of in between. In the time that you move from one age to another, the veils get very, very frayed. Um, there's a change in a fundamental energy, and when that happens, the veils are very thin. The other bit is that in the age of Pisces, um, think of think of water. What happens if you try to dig a hole uh, in the ocean with your hands? You can kind of like dig, 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 and you can kind of like make a hole, but as soon as you stop, the water closes up the hole. 
That's what the veils were like during the age of Pisces. As we move into the age of Aquarius, which is an air sign and it's fixed air, I'm not going to get into all the details. <laughs> but then when you open a door or you open a portal in the age of Aquarius, rather than slamming shut as the age of Pisces watery thing, it will have a tendency to remain so as we move further into this age, in addition to just the turmoil of transition, the nature of the age we're moving into is one where openings between here and there have a tendency to remain open or closed until moved so by consciousness. There won't be a self-sealing quality to the energy of the age, which will make it more likely for people to experience things that perhaps in the past had not. Gotcha. How long is this age of Aquarius supposed to last? Once again, uh, fuzzy boundaries, but uh, let, let's safely call it uh, uh, somewhere between 2,000 and uh, 2,100 years. And just to remind people how slow these things are, uh, each day in, a, the, in the great year, for the, for the Earth to process one degree in astrology terms is 72 years. So uh, each, each sign is 30 degrees, so each age is 30 times 72 is one way of looking at it, though it's not quite that simple because it's not a perfect circle. But right. if you think of astrology as being 72 years is one day in the big year, then you can see why the transition from one age to another is actually spread out over. How about this? You and I will both be, or even if there were an infant listening to this podcast with with their with their with their mom or dad or whatever, um, that child will not be will not see the end of the transition between the ages. Ah, yes. Well, you know, you've been at this a really long time. What's your take on the explosion of the occult? So. Actually, we've been living in a weird time, as in like the last several centuries, because if you look at the history of humanity, pretty much most the vast majority of the history of humanity, we have been actively involved with magic, with spirits, with what we now think of as the occult. It's only been in the last several hundred years that there's been this separation between um, science and spirituality and uh, this this creation of a division between the two. And I think that there's a natural tendency for this to be an aberration. So I think we're actually headed back towards connection to spiritual matters in a bigger way because that's our normal default state as human beings, I think. Another bit is we are in crazy crazy times. And when there is more disruption on every level, whether it's political or environmental or you name it, people need every tool that they can grasp, especially the ones that uh, technically aren't going to cost you an arm and leg to get to. Anybody, I think, can do magic with, with things that are in their kitchen today. Mm. So, of course, there's a pull toward. Uh, crisis brings forth the need for tools. And I think we're just moving in a natural trend in that direction. And then you add in the fact that I do think that the change of the ages makes for uh, more people to be having experiences. Yeah, it's going to explode. The part where it's, where it's a little iffy and unfortunate, and I just kind of like do the grin and bear it thing, is that means that there will also be dilettantes, that there will also be uh, uh, people who uh, suddenly become uh, media stars that in, in the old days we would have looked at them and said, really? They just started? <laughs> so, <laughs> so but, but that's okay. 
uh, I think in the long run, things level out. And I think nature, uh, whether it's human nature or broader nature, likes to experiment and all these crazy ex- explorations, all the bad books, all the good books, all the TV things, all the fiction is good because it's like nature. You throw out a bazillion different seeds and you see which which ones grow up to be nice trees and which don't make it and let, let time sort it out. Yes. Let time sort it out. <laughs> no bias. <laughs> no just let it happen. Mm-hmm. You don't need to gatekeep. Time does it for us. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's actually a big co- uh, conversation in pagan communities. It's like gatekeeping um, versus like appropriations. This is like a big conversation. Oh, it's very complex. It's a really, really very complicated and a lot to be said about all those things. But um, I kind of like as long as it's not causing me harm or other people harm. I just kind of like sit back and, well, maybe it's good. I don't know yet. Yeah. I think that that uh, each life has its own set of purposes. Um, and it may be that uh, there's, I think that we only remember those things that in some way have meaning in the current life. Yeah. So if we're remembering it, then it has to have some bearing on what we are doing this time around. But I do think that if we are working with something that uh, in, in the current climate uh, falls into the area of this is really iffy, then ask the question of, uh, for me to work with the following things, what do I need to do to do it honorably and not honor, not just honorably for the god, goddess, uh, spirit, uh, ancestor, whatever it may be, but also how does that impact on the living people from that culture? That's a very important question. So, uh, do you offer any kind of services as far as divination is concerned? I do offer uh, astrological readings. I also do tarot. Uh, honestly, though, I am often uh, overwhelmed with requests for those. I also take breaks periodically. If I do too many readings in a row, or if I'm in a place in my life where I'm doing too much heavy-duty work, I'll basically say, I'm not available until I'm going to be kind and sweet and compassionate with you. Yeah, that's fair. Part of the self-care is also self-care for the people receiving the reading. Are you going to be able to do a good job with a full heart? If not, then send them off somewhere else. Try to refer out. I also write. I would say I have the equivalent of a full-time job just with the uh, people in my own uh, tradition and in the 14 covens in our in our tradition because there's teaching, there's working in ritual. I'm going to be at a ritual at 1 o'clock later today that I have to be at uh, in my capacity as an elder. So, it's building community, probably what I consider to be my primary work, and readings, writing, teaching are part of that, but the overall idea is I'm building a magical community. Yeah. It's harder to do uh, in, in, in uh, larger cities for practical reasons and for psychological reasons. Yes, that's that's a very valid point. Um, and it's really, it's not as sustainable, I think, too. There's so much influx. People come and go, energies come and go, and motivation comes and goes. And, you know, there's such a demand to work, 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 and hustle to pay such yeah. a crazy amount of money. But the opportunities here are really great, too. So it's like... Absolutely. It's a double-edged it's a sword. trade-off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what's your website? EvoDominguezJr.com. Pretty oh. easy to find that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can also look up uh, the tradition I'm a part of at uh, www.sacredwheel.org. Yeah. And buy my books, please. <laughs> 
Yes, yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll put those both in the show notes so people can easily just find your stuff. That's great. Thank you so much for making time for us today. It was a lot of fun. Stay mystic, witches. Be sure to subscribe to Mystic Witch on any of your favorite platforms. And you can show your support by contributing monthly at anchor.fm or on our Patreon page. Follow us on social media to hear exclusive audio clips from our guests at Mystic Witch Podcast. <laughs>